Thank you for listening to America's Start, an American history podcast designed with quick and simple lessons to broaden your knowledge and understanding of how America got its start. This is Season 2, Episode 6, The Judicial Branch. Article 3 of the Constitution lays out the judicial branch. Article 3 is fairly short for the complexity of our court system. Remember as you read that it is strictly the federal court system that leads to the U.S. Supreme Court. There is no higher court. If a case makes it to the Supreme Court, their decision is final. The Constitution says, Section 1, The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court, and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall, at stated times, receive for their services a compensation, which shall be disseminated during their continuance in office. Although this section establishes a Supreme Court, the number of justices is not defined. This is left up to the Congress, and the number has changed over the years. Remember back to Article 2 that the President of the United States appoint justices with congressional approval separation of power at its finest. In the table below, you will see that in 1866, the number of justices decreased by three. Congress did this in order to prevent President Andrew Johnson from appointing anyone new. The year 1789, six justices. 1807, seven justices. 1837, nine justices. 1863, 10 justices. 1866, seven justices, and 1869, nine justices. If you remember in Article 1 and 2 of the Constitution, there were guidelines for becoming a representative, senator, and president. They involved ages as well as citizenships. Note the lack of any qualification here. There are none. I think that our founding fathers assumed that if someone was appointed by the president and approved by the Congress, there'd be qualification enough. Inferior or lower courts can also be established and abolished by Congress as they see fit. Nothing fancy there. The last part says that our Supreme Court justices and other federal justices will keep their jobs for as long as they want them. They cannot be fired. By provisions set up in Article 2 allows for their impeachment. Also, the Constitution lays out that they will receive a paycheck and that they can never take a pay cut. Section 2 is a bit more robust, so we'll break it down into three parts. The Constitution says, The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made, or which shall be made under their authority, to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to controversies in which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states, between a state and citizen of another state, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming land under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizens thereof and foreign states, citizens or subjects. This clause is stating when the judicial power of the Supreme Court will reign. The things that must be determined by the Supreme Court or its inferior courts, such as when the United States is against someone when two states have a dispute, and when a foreign country is involved, are all outlined here. It makes sense, too. If North Carolina wanted to take South Carolina to court over a dispute over where the border between them was, they would need a, quote, big brother to step in and make the decision. 
In all, the Constitution says, in all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction, both as to the law and fact, with such exemptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. This clause is identifying when the Supreme Court will have original jurisdiction, which means when it will take the lead and when it will have appellate jurisdiction, in which an inferior court will take the lead when the Supreme Court taking on the case is necessary. The Constitution says, the trial of all crimes, except in cases of impeachment, shall be by jury, and such trial shall be held in the state where the said claims have been committed. But when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such a place or places as the Congress may be law have directed. This language comes straight out of the men, mouths of men who saw the opposite happen. Under the rule of King George, trials were not by jury, and they were often held, not held where the crime was committed. The king would force the accused to travel to England, and accusations would be found guilty. In the preamble, the founding fathers' first point was to establish justice. You will see that this gets spelled again, spelled out again in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th Amendments. Section 3 really focuses in on the crime of treason. Treason is defined as, quote, the crime of betraying one's country, especially by attempting to kill the sovereign and overthrow the government. Here's that section, Article 3, in the United States Constitution says about it. The Constitution says, Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or an inherent to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless the testimony of two witnesses in the same overt act or in confession in open court. The Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attier of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. Again, the founders used their own experiences with a tyrant and set up ways of dealing with treason. Prior to the Declaration of Independence, which you can find on America's Start podcast, representatives sent King George the Olive Branch petition, asking, almost begging him to leave the colonists alone. Instead, he called treason. When the founders had enough and drafted the Declaration of Independence, logically laying out human rights, the way the king had been oppressing them, and how the government has failed, and eventually declaring themselves independents, the king cried, treason. Instead, the founders were very precise in how they defined treason and how someone would be found guilty of it to protect its citizens from being falsely accused. That is the reason for the two witnesses and the overt act or confession in open court. You'd be accused of treason. You cannot be accused of treason secretly. The last sentence gives Congress the power to declare the punishment, but does not allow for any family members, quote, blood, to inheriting the property of someone convicted of treason for the course of a convicted person's life. That's it, the judicial branch. Seems like it'd be more complicated, but it's really not. I hope you learned something, and I appreciate any comments you may have. America's Start podcast can be found wherever you find quality podcasts. If this is your first time listening, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends to help spread the word. 
You can follow John at Mr. Underscore JVD on Twitter, and you can also read his blog, which is at mrvanduzen.blogspot.com.